today are preaching from Matthew 8, 1 through 4. So please stand if you are able as, we, as I read Matthew 8, 1 through 4, which you can also find on page 813 of the House Bibles on the pew back in front of you. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now I'll go ahead and pray for Kevin as he gets ready to preach. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for just your wonderful word, your gift of salvation uh, that you offer freely to us. I pray for Kevin today as uh, he preaches from your word. I pray that you'll just give him the right words to speak to us here today, and I just pray that you'll give us the ears and hearts uh, to listen and hear from your word. In your name, amen. Well, today's going to be a fun day. It's Child Dedication Sunday, um, as Matt just said. At the end of the gathering, some parents are going to come up here with their kids, stand before the Lord, commit them, their care to the Lord with us. But before we do that, I just want to spend a few minutes here in these opening verses of of Matthew chapter 8 that Matt just read. Almost a year ago... um, year and a half ago, we began this walk through this book, and I began by saying that first sermon that there were two important questions that we needed to answer, and they're, who am I and why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? Put another way, what's our identity and what's our purpose? And I argued, and I'll keep arguing as we go through this book, that we're his people, that we're citizens of heaven, we're subjects of King Jesus, that's who we are. That's our identity. And we're also about his mission, about building up his kingdom, not others, certainly not our own. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. So in this world that I would argue is so confused about those two things in particular, we need to be rooted in them ourselves, and we need to pour those out into our kids. He is our king. We're about his kingdom. Those are these two Big themes that we'll see again and again throughout Matthew that, that of course, impacted our theme, and they're very much what we still need to hear today, right? Now, in the gospel, we see an introduction at the beginning, chapters 1 and 2, and then there's this conclusion in chapters 26 through 28. But in between those two bookends, there are these five alternating cycles. There's cycles between stories about Jesus and sermons from him. A story, a sermon, a story, a sermon. We see the first group. We've seen the first group of stories in chapters 3 and 4. And then they were followed by his first group of teachings, the epic Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And we've spent the last year just looking at those words in detail. Today we're jumping into the second cycle of stories and sermons. In chapters 8 and 9, we see Jesus displaying the power of his kingdom We see a series of 10 miracles, and then in the second sermon in the book, in chapter 10, we hear Christ proclaim what servants of his kingdom are called to endure. Today, once again, beginning of chapter 8, but before we get there, I want you to hear, once again, the last couple of verses of chapter 7, where the Sermon on the Mount ends. 
And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Christ finishes his talk. The crowd is in awe. They're amazed by his authority, but they really don't know the half of it as we're going to see. Maybe you've seen a scene like this before. It's a dark night in a big city. There's this man furtively trailing a woman down this quiet, empty street. He gains ground, overtakes her, violently rips her purse from her person, and then he hears from somewhere in the darkness these words, stop, give it back to her. And this guy smirks, he shakes his head, he responds, you know, who are you? Why should I even listen? About that time, he hears this thud, and then he sees this man in all black, donning a cape, swinging through the sky. Before he knows it, that man has him pinned up against the side of a building, and he says, you know, what was that again? The dark night has arrived. The man had heard his words, now he had seen his works, and now he's going to do whatever this guy asks of him. Here in Matthew, crowds have heard Christ's message. They're about to see his miracles. And they have this choice, we have this choice, how will we respond to him? One big purpose of the miracles that we're going to see, that we see in the Bible, they're to confirm the message of Jesus. They're to authenticate his message. Again, we read earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, the people were left amazed by the authority of his teaching, and the crowds are about to have the same impression as they see his signs and wonders. This Jesus, he even has authority over disease. Who is this man? Maybe we should listen to what he has to say. What will we do with what we see here in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4? How will we respond? I'm going to walk through it now, and then I'm going to follow with three points of application. And I want you and I to see this passage from, from three different perspectives, three different vantage points And I'm going to argue that we need a bigger, we need a better perspective on who Jesus is and what he's done. So the Lord wraps up his sermon, and then verse 1 says he descends the mountain, and the people are so moved that they go down with him. They follow him. Great crowds followed him, it says. So they've heard him talk. They're about to see his walk. Verse 2 tells us that this leper approaches Jesus. Now, if we think of leprosy today, we often think of what's called Hansen's disease. It's a bacterial infection that causes damage to the nerves, that causes a loss of feeling, which results in sores and even disfigurement to the body. But the term here was used then as a broader, more catch-all term that referred to all kinds of diseases of the skin. Now, in the Old Testament law, to protect his people, God put regulations in place to limit what was a pretty significant health hazard. For these sicknesses that tended to be highly contagious and almost completely untreatable. So lepers were kept out of the temple. They were kept away from the people of God. And this, along with the fact that lepers looked kind of scary, led to quite the social stigma. So people considered them cursed by God. They were treated as outcasts, so they knew all about social distancing. One leper comes to Jesus and falls down before him. He calls Jesus Lord, and he asks Jesus for help. 
Now, we don't know that this man realizes that Jesus is God, but Matthew here wants us to realize that. As we look at the man's posture, as we hear the man's words, and he says, and he calls him Lord, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What faith, right? Now, we know from chapter 4 that healings by Jesus had already taken place, but this man has no doubt in his mind. He knows that Jesus can, right? Strong faith. The Lord has the ability, but he's just not sure if he will. He wonders about his desire. In verse 3, Christ reaches out toward him, bringing to my mind at least, God flexing his arm, God stretching out his hand for Israel in the Old Testament. He's about to show his power. But he also does something really shocking here. Jesus is touching the untouchable, right? He's displaying his love. He says, I will be clean. He wants to heal the man, so he reaches out and touches him. Mark 1 tells us that Jesus is moved with pity for the man. And immediately it happens. He's cured because Jesus is that powerful. But think about this, with most people, you come in contact with leprosy and the uncleanness from them moves to you. With the Lord, the exact opposite happens. Cleanness flows out from him and he makes the unclean instantly clean. So what authority, even over illness? Jesus touches, he heals the body, but think what it would have also done to the man's heart. He's likely not been touched by anyone for years. In verse 4, we see Jesus then saying something shocking. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone. Keep it quiet. Be hush-hush. And we think the reason is most likely that Jesus doesn't want to just end up as this traveling miracle worker to be overrun by the crowds. He also doesn't want the crowds to try to grab him and make him their king. He doesn't want to get swept up in their political ambitions, so he tells him to be quiet for now, because he has more ministry that he needs to do. But Jesus says something additional here to that man. He tells him to visit the temple, to see the priest, to take the offering God required in Leviticus 14, to let God's leader inspect him. Jesus says, for a proof to them. We're not sure exactly what that proof refers to. Was a proof to the priests, either that Jesus was who he said he was, or he wasn't going around breaking God's law? Was it maybe proof for the people that this was the long-awaited Messiah, that God's kingdom had indeed come? We're not sure again. But either way, a man without hope is touched and helped. He's healed by Jesus the King with just the word. So just as Jesus did in creation, he did in redemption. He spoke, it came to pass, what authority, right? That leads to my my first main point. Um, We need a, a bigger, better perspective of what Jesus came to do. And here's the first vantage point through which I want you to see this miracle. I want you to first see in Jesus' work a window to another world a window to another world. Twice already in this book of Matthew, we've heard Jesus say these words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So often we hear about the kingdom of God in Christ coming in the future, coming in full, but he also speaks here of his reign as in the present, in the here and now. These miracles that we begin to see in our passage today point ahead They give us a glimpse of that world to come, that new creation. 
we get this view, we get this preview of the kingdom of God. Whereas Revelation 21 puts it, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So one day, Jesus will return. He'll renew us along with all his creation. Everything will then be as it was intended, except you could argue even better because Jesus will be at its center. So often when we talk about miracles, maybe you've heard it put this way, we think of them as God suspending the natural order, right? But what if we thought of them more as God beginning to set things right? Many of you I know have read Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, but in that book, he says this, and he also quotes scholar um, Jürgen Moltmann, but he says, we tend to think of miracles of the Gospels as interruptions in the natural order. Yet German theologian Jürgen Moltmann points out that miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. We are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They're the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. So maybe this summer you'll get to go on a vacation, the beach maybe, maybe the mountains, and you'll look out your window and you'll see glory that almost takes your breath away. In these miracles that Jesus performs, we see a window to another world. We get a glimpse of his kingdom that is coming to earth. As he comes and heals, he's telling these crowds, he's reminding us here that he's king, that he's the Messiah, the one they've waited for, the one we so desperately need, and of all this glory that's coming in his new creation. Now, yes, we believe Jesus can heal here and now, but you may wonder, if he's able, why is he not willing for everybody, at least when it comes to me? And I just have to say, we probably won't know the answers or the beginning of the answer until the time of his return. But we do know, we can bank on the fact that one day, full final healing will come. Maybe now, and let's ask for it in faith with this man to remove our suffering. But definitely later, when he makes all things new. So I ask, what about your life, about this world, tempts you to lose heart? Can you see the glory in what Jesus does here, what it means for your future and mine? Can you see through this window what Christ is going to do and what he's even doing now that maybe you haven't seen? Have you lost hope walking around in this fallen world? Has the unnatural tragically become normal to you? Marvel as you see Jesus. See his crown be renewed in hope. Second, See in Christ's miracle a mirror to see ourselves clearly. Now, in the New Testament, and we're going to see this more explicitly moving ahead, that these ailments give a picture of our sin, and the healings point deeper to our salvation. And this is certainly the case with leprosy. 
and the miracle that Jesus does. Scholar Michael Green explains it this way. He says, never was there a disease that so separated victims from their fellows. Never has there been a condition that so illustrated the spiritual condition of humankind. For sin is a terrible disease that separates us from our fellows and from God. It spreads and it is fatal. So sin makes us numb. Sin hurts us. Sin eventually destroys us and those around us. So I ask you, can you see even yourself here in this man in Matthew 8? Separated from God. You know, again, he can't go to the temple. He's alienated from God's people. All because of this condition that leads to death. Yes, this is a picture of our sin. Maybe we can clean ourselves up. Maybe we can carefully roll down our sleeves and hide our wounds. But we're lepers, all of us. And Christ's touch here is a picture of our salvation. These miracles of the body point to what God does in the soul. He touches us. And again, our filth doesn't contaminate him. It doesn't phase him. It's overwhelmed by his purity. And we're changed in him. We're cleansed. We're made whole by him, by his healing touch. So he invites us to come to him, to fall before him, as we see here, and he is able and he is willing to work. One day we will be fully physically healed, but today we can be fully spiritually healed. Don't don't mishear me. There will be this battle between our fallen nature and the new life we have in Christ until he returns. But we can be made new now, today. And he just calls us to faith like this leper here. Jesus is able to heal, to renew. But think back, I, I, just, I referred to, to Matthew 3 and 4 a moment ago. When, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what comes before that? Well, the word repent, right? Before we get anywhere, we have to see ourselves as broken and sick, as headed toward death. We can't look in one of those, those, those carnival mirrors, you know, that leave us all distorted in our eyes. We have to gaze into the perfect word, the perfect mirror of his word, and then repent. What does that word mean? Well, we start going one direction, and we stop, we turn, and we start going in the, in the other, away from our sin, toward our Savior. Repentance, we we could define it as a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. And Jesus calls us to faith here. He calls us to faith in his cross where we find forgiveness, where we experience cleansing, and he calls us to turn from our impurity, to leave our hiding from God, from our isolation from others, and to approach him with humble, needy hearts. And hear me clearly, not just once, but again and again and again throughout the duration of our lives. In faith, that's what we're called to do. So I ask you, what in your life can you not seem to change? What about you leaves you guilty and discouraged? Can you see in the mirror who you really are and in him who you can really become? Rejoice as you see Jesus. See his cross today. Give yourselves in faith to him. Third, See in Jesus' healing a doorway to the margins. So I've mentioned, you might have caught two images that come from God's word 
that help us, I think, picture Christ's ministry to the world, all that he came to do, the crown, his kingship, right? The cross, his atonement, his death for us. There's a third, and I'll explain this, the cradle. So cross, crown, cradle, his incarnation, incarnation. That's a word, you know, that we we talked about a little bit more during Advent, right? That's Jesus coming to earth, putting on the flesh, walking among us, coming to rescue us. So this is he who is completely unlike us, becoming like us to reach us. That's the incarnation, incarnation. So you've heard of carnage, maybe flesh. Um, The enfleshment of Jesus, We see that this beautiful picture of this right here of Jesus Christ ministering to this leper, to this outcast. Next week, Darren's Darren's gonna be preaching again and we're gonna see him approach a Gentile, a non-Jew, and also a woman who wasn't, wasn't respected in that culture. Jesus leaves heaven for earth to draw near to humanity. He comes down, and then he goes to the margins of society to bring people back in. He goes out. The people who were excluded, the people who were even mocked, Jesus came for them, went right to them, and healed them so they could enter back in to God's family. Right into the temple, back into the community, we see his great compassion here. You see, Jesus is God's presence come to earth. He's the true temple. Where he goes, God's presence goes, and he's regathering the people of God around him, around that temple, through his work. And he's not gathering the powerful, but as we've seen, the meek. Not those who have it together, but the poor in spirit. Not those who applaud their goodness, but those who mourn their sin. There's this puzzling statement again in verse 4 where Jesus basically says to this man, go forth, but, but keep quiet, right? That was then, right? But we learn from Mark 1 again that the leper didn't even obey those words anyhow, right? He could not contain himself. So he blabs and Jesus gets mobbed anyhow. But we have been given this great commission that we're going to see at the end of this book to go to the nations to tell all about him, about his kingdom, about his cross. And we do that in a way, again, that fits with the incarnation with the cradle by going to people who may not look like us, to those who might make us feel uncomfortable. We remember that we were on the margins, but Jesus brought us back in, and we should go out into our city, into our world, and do the same. Jesus calls us to the same love for others that brought us near to him to offer proof to the world that he has transformed our lives. So do you see in this account here a doorway out into the world to those the world often can't see, to those the the world often doesn't welcome? Who might there be that you find yourself struggling to love? Behold Christ's mercy here. He came to earth in a cradle, in a manger, like some of the the little babies that we're going to see up here. He went to the margins. Let us go with him and pour ourselves out in love. Earlier, I I talked about my my favorite superhero. Um, Apologies to the Marvel fans out there. Um, 
but I feel like I live with a superhero, uh, my real favorite. Uh, you know, I know that we're, we're sick of talking about COVID. My, my kids definitely are. Um, but think about how, how we all felt, you know, a, a, at least for me, a significant amount of fear. I think we all felt um, an unhealthy isolation as this disease just spread through our world, as it, it wiped out so many. But we saw many, not just my wife Amy, but in the medical field, drawing near to people, risking even their lives to touch and heal and see people restored. In that, we saw this picture of the kingdom that was coming and had come. We saw this picture of our sin and the salvation that we have in Christ, as well as the love were to extend to one another. We saw a window, a mirror, a doorway. Now, as I said earlier, we'll begin looking at 10 different miracles. This is the first, as we keep plugging through Matthew. But for those of us who maybe have, you know, spent a significant amount of time in the church, they can seem kind of ho-hum. They've they maybe lost their, their shock and awe for us. I love these words of author Leif Anger, if you've ever heard them in his, his classic book, Peace Like a River. He talks about miracles. He says, let me say something about that word miracle. For, for too long, it's been used to characterize things or events that, though pleasant, are entirely normal. Peeping chicks at Easter time, spring generally, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle, people say, as if they've been educated from greeting cards. I'm sorry, but nope. Such things are worth our notice every day of the week, but to call them miracles evaporates the strength of the word. Real miracles bother people, like strange sudden pains unknown in medical literature. It's true. They rebut every rule all we good citizens take comfort in. Lazarus obeying orders and climbing up out of the grave. Now there's a miracle, and you can bet it upset a lot of folks who were standing around at that time. When a person dies, the earth is generally unwilling to cough him back up. A miracle contradicts the will of the earth. These miracles, friends, like the healing here of the leper, are meant to shake us up. They're meant to wake us up, to put us on our knees in awe of the authority of our king. We need to regain a better, bigger perspective of Jesus again. As we continue to look at these, of who he is, of what Jesus can do in our lives. Again, soon we're going to bring some, some kids up here, and later in the gospel, we're going to hear Jesus talk about the faith of a child. Think about it. Children love the stories about kings, where the, the guy gets the princess, where all the bad guys get smashed. You know, cynicism hasn't really set in yet, yet right? I mean, they're still open. They still have room for hope. Children are pretty open about their mess, right? They don't keep up the appearances that adults tend to, to keep up. There's no need to pretend. They know they have needs. They'll express them pretty freely, right? Faith comes pretty naturally. Kids, they don't see the lines so much that we see. They don't tend to separate into the groups that we do. Love for neighbor, for the other, comes easier for them. Maybe need, we need to pray, brothers and sisters, that we would grow young again. And as we think about what we want to teach and model to our children, I don't think there's anything more needed than what we've seen here, that they'd be filled with hope, that they would look out their window and they would long for another better world, that they would be growing in faith, that they would see in the mirror their need for a savior every day, 
that they would see it there, they'd, they'd learn it from us. That they'd be moved by love, that they would understand that their doorway is a path to those who are hurting, to those who are outcasts. Nothing's more important than grasping for ourselves and passing on to our children that we are his, that he's our king, that we're about his purpose, not about our own, but about his kingdom. So, Carlos, let's pray that we and these little ones would have a better, bigger perspective on who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would um, expand our minds and hearts. Um, we'll never, they'll never be able to contain, contain you, but give us just a bigger view of who you are, of who we are, how much we need you, how much um, you want to work in us and in our world. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through it. Thanks for your Holy Spirit that guides us into truth. Thank you, Lord, that um, you have adopted us as your kids, that you brought us into your family, that you are loving us, growing us, um, purifying us. And Lord, um, just give us a, a better view, a better mindset where we will just naturally want to go around. And um, whether it's in our home with our children or in our workplace or in our classrooms, to really um, speak of, of your son um, and to live in a way that fits with him, that, that makes people want to come and hear more and, and follow him, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.